Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who is telling everybody that I'm on a course in Bradford. And I'm the stuck-together spaghetti that is better known as Purple Pumpkin. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are ready to fill the church for a meeting about being more eco. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Nick Warburton, and once again there were some fantastic scenes, including several involving Rob. This week we have calls from Jenny, who has thoughts on Hannah's housing and on coming out. Jen, who has a plan for Helen. Claire from Clapham, who is a big fan of Tony this week. Tracy from California, who is not a fan of Rob. Globetrotting Richard, who has been reading Robert Browning. And Witherspoon, who was riveted by the baptism episode. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold, from Bernadette. But before Theo and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Sui. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui, Queen or Tart here on the Twitters, and on Blue Sky too, although I haven't still not used it. Time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. What a strange week. There was an unexpected quest at the stables when Denise interrupted a bickering session between Lily and Josh about their Halloween party. She has had to stay there for a couple of days to get away from Uncle Rufus, which thrust her back into the arms of Alistair. At least we might hope. They went on the Halloween trail at Grange Farm, and he got another ring in his barn brack. Exciting. Sadly, Denise doesn't intend to return to the veterinaries to save Paul being out on his ear. She does, however, do a magnificent clear-up job post the Halloween party, and the stable residents wanted her to stay. Tony told Brian about Lee leaving. Brian told Tony that Rob wanted to be his sponsor at the baptism on Wednesday. That was ghastly. I, honestly, I couldn't bring myself to listen to Bruce, Rob's father, for a second time. Tony went to watch it happening and Alan stood up to Bruce. Tony felt sorry for Rob, which was quite unexpected. All escaped from the stables for a quiz night at the bull with Stella and Hannah. And they won! Looks like Hannah and Stella might be showing the bungalow at Brookfield. But Hannah went all 12-year-old and could barely string a sentence together when they tried to discuss it. Jazza was given a pep talk about the possibilities of taking over Hannah's job, which she'll be keeping if she can move into the bungalow. So, mm, poor Jazza. Pip had a roof for being a parent. Stella asked if Hannah could move in. 
I, I rather lost the will to live by this stage. Harrison showed he has some actual policing skills as he talked Rob off a roundabout near Borchester where he was waiting for Goddo. So, Jesus, Jesus at least come and heal him. Jesus won't be able to get to him because of the traffic jam, according to Harrison. And that jolly did along. He clearly needs more looking after and Miles will have to take him in. Rob has told a tale about how he was an innocent victim but Miles is beginning to have his doubt. Anyway, Rob was seen leaving with Miles but has succeeded in wreaking his revenge on Alan. Brian reported that Peggy is withdrawing her support from the church and her money and her intent to publicise her actions. Rob will be cackling from his grave. All in all, another odd week. Till next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Sue. So, Theo, what have you been up to this week? It's, been, it's felt like a very busy week because given that I mostly work from home now, I was actually in my office three days, which feels very unusual, even though I used to manage that every week before COVID. It's somehow a much bigger deal now. Then we had Halloween and carving actual pumpkins. And my book group beats the first week of every month and has done for about 20-something years. So I've been busy, but actually been really enjoying The Archers, which makes a nice change. How about you? It hasn't been quite as busy here. I had one day up in London, I was on a panel to interview for a senior civil service post, which was quite funny. The good news was we actually got a viable candidate out of the process, uh, which is means I don't have to go back and do it all over again. And the other thing I've been doing most of the week is clearing out the kitchen ahead of the, the fitters coming in to start work on Monday morning. So that's been fairly disruptive. I've had to try and find room for everything. The bath is now full of Kenwood appliances and the cellar is absolutely groaning under everything else that's come out of the kitchen. And I still have, have a few more things to find space for. It's going to be very traumatic for me and even more traumatic for the cat once the work starts. And so it's microwave meals from now on. I don't think I'll even have a, a microwave. It'll be uh, takeouts and supermarket sandwiches. Oh dear. That does sound bad, but hopefully a glorious kitchen at the end. That's the plan. Well, that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you, our lovely caller Innerers. Hello, Tiger. <laughs> and first up, we have Jenny. Hi, this is Jenny from North Devon calling in on a Tuesday. I just wanted to say something about house situation and not being able to find somewhere to live after being thrown out by uh, Will and George. And what I can't understand is why Neil and Susan haven't offered her somewhere to live. We know that they've got a big house. It's just them living there at the moment. I know they have Martha to stay sometimes, other grandchildren, but we know George stayed there. When Brad came to stay, he had to share with George because Neil was decorating the spare room, so there is another room. I think Bert stayed there as well when Brad was there. And um, Tracy has referred to her big house, um, Susan's big house. Neil is Hannah's boss or work colleague, maybe these days. He doesn't want her to leave. Why wouldn't they offer her a temporary place to stay while she looks for something else? So that was what I wanted to say about that. I was also just thinking a little bit about the gay storylines we've been having recently and about Adam and Ian not being confident about holding hands or Ian not being confident and also Pip and Stella, Pip particularly about coming out 
And I've seen a few people say, you know, why are they making such a fuss about it? No one thinks twice about it these days. But I would just say, as a lesbian myself, I think that's very true. You have to have multiple comings out as a lesbian or gay person. And I just felt that these were quite true sorts of conversations because it is stuff that you, if you are gay or lesbian, it is stuff that you would be a little bit anxious about. Thank goodness most people are absolutely fine these days. But it's not that long ago that things were different. And there's always a little thing at the back of your mind about how someone might react to the fact that you're gay or lesbian. So you are a little bit nervous about it, unless you're a super confident person, maybe. And of course, you have to, as I said before, you have to have multiple coming outs, comings out. Every time, for instance, if you start a new job or you get a new hairdresser, it's not that you have to go in and say, oh, hi, my name's Jenny and I'm a lesbian. It's going to come up. You talk about your family, the people you live with, what you do. And at some point, it's going to come up that you live with another woman or another man. And you'll never, you know, so you, it's not like you just come out once. You come out lots of times and to lots of different people all the time, all sorts of people that you wouldn't think about, like your doctor or someone comes to your house, decorate it, as I had the other week. And they're going to know that you're gay from your living situation. Anyway, I just wanted to say I thought that was a good story. Thank you for that call, Jenny. There are two topics you touch on. Let's start with Hannah's accommodation situation. And I agree, it's not just Ambridge Review. There are lots of possible places where Hannah might stay that haven't really been addressed. To me, the obvious place for her would be Greenacres, taking up the room that Jazza no longer uses along with Jim and Alastair. But I suppose those two might be a bit uncomfortable about having a woman in the house, having got used to just being a household full of men. Ambridge View, as far as I'm aware, Ambridge View has three bedrooms, whereas Number Six The Green has four bedrooms. So when Tracy talks about it as being a big house, I suspect that the rooms are much bigger than at uh, Number Six The Green. But there aren't as many bedrooms. That said, three bedrooms, I assume that Neil and Susan only use one of them, so that does leave two of them spare. The one that is regularly available for relatives to stay at, the one that Brad stayed in, and then this spare room that Neil has just redecorated. So yeah, it, it would have been a very obvious location. I'm not sure about Alistair. Isn't, wouldn't he be a biosecurity risk if uh, Hannah lived in the same house as him? Because there was all that fuss about George not being able to live at Grange Farm when he was working at the big unit. And I wonder if she has to stay away from people who work in different places, which definitely doesn't cover Neil, but it does Alistair. Except that Jazza was there before, and Jazza and Hannah work at exactly the same place. Uh, if yeah. it works for one of them, it, it works for the other. But yeah, I, I think that this is a bit of a, things have been ignored for dramatic purposes to throw yet more tension into the Pip and Stella relationship. But I think we might get onto that a bit later on. Turning then to the question of Pip's coming out. Yes, I, I'm not an expert on this, being a straight man rather than a lesbian woman. And I'm also not familiar with things like hairdressers because I haven't been to a hairdresser for about a decade. I can understand, though, that while everybody in the village seems to be taking Pip coming out in their stride, it remains a big deal for Pip herself. At times, it seems almost as if she's struggling to find somebody who will be shocked and appalled by the situation and that felt some of the stuff that underlay her engagement with Ruth on the, on the subject. 
yeah, I can understand it's it's a big deal. And and if you think Jenny that it's being done well, then I certainly can't provide a, a contrast to that. I I think I started to detect in Pitt some of the internalized homophobia that I think Witherspoon talked about with Ian last week. That. Clearly, Pip is quite shocked to find herself in love with a woman and she can't understand why no one else is. And yes, people take it in their stride, but I definitely echo Jenny's view that you have to come out multiple times. It had somehow hadn't occurred to me when I was pregnant how many different people would want to know about my living arrangements, about who was going to be present at the birth, about the conception, about you know the absence of a visible father, all sorts of things that provided that my partner and I had been together about 15 years at that time. I thought I'd done all the coming out, but it turns out there's another whole lot you have to do and your workplace and your doctor and your everyone else and nursery schools and grown-up schools and parents at school who don't quite understand. Not that anyone was unpleasant or difficult, but you just have to keep telling people. And one of the things that my daughter felt when she was a primary school child was can you please tell people so I don't have to explain it to them? And it is that it's something that your your private life is something that you have to explain, where for most people, it just isn't. Thank you for that call, Jenny. And now we will move on to Jen. Greetings, everybody in dum-de-dum-land. Jen here, as Helen's greatest fan. Just calling in because I have a strong feeling that I think there is a solution to Helen. And I think there's somebody in the village who would be really good for Helen and actually help her get some personal growth. And I think that's Hannah. And what I would love to see, I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately, but I would love to see some interactions between Hannah and Helen. Ideally, Helen would actually finally realise that maybe she can't manage the rent on her house without Lee and get Hannah in as a housemate to help with that. And can you imagine the first time that Helen turned around and went, Oh, I'm a single mother and I've got two boys and I'm so busy making cheese. Hannah, can you mind my children? Wouldn't that just be the most joyous scene when Hannah did her thing and just gave some bold-faced reality and refused and was pretty blunt about why she was refusing? Oh, it'd be marvellous. I think Helen, obviously Helen has a lot of problems. I don't think any of us are in any doubt. She should have been in therapy years ago. But the problem is that her family and friends are exactly where she wants them. And if they dare to say, Helen, you're not handling things that well. How about you get some help? Then they get the head taken off them. I am strong. I am perfect. How dare you suggest it? And Helen really needs somebody who's not that emotionally involved with her, who can just say it as it is. And I think Hannah is that woman. And yeah, it's just a plea. If any scriptwriters are out there, I'm sure it would spark your imagination. Can you imagine the bust ups? Please. Well, Jen, thank you for that call. Wow, you haven't let the Dumpty Dum community know your feelings about Helen until now, but we're beginning to get the message. Would Hannah tell Helen a few home truths? I think we saw a a bit of a personality shift in Hannah this week. She was so timid about approaching Stella, so worried that she's going to have to give up her job as well as losing her home, that I'm not sure she would be quite as feisty as, as Jen is suggesting. I'm also not sure that Helen would actually respond to being given a talking to in a positive way. Not because I dislike Helen as much as Jen does. I probably have more sympathy and a little more sort of liking for her. But I think it needs more than a stiff talking to. 
possibly a number of hours with Witherspoon before she would begin to see the light on how she behaves. I agree with you that Hannah recently has seems to have had the stuffing knocked out of her by this period of couch surfing. She really was incredibly diffident and reluctant in her approach to Stella about the, the bungalow. And that was after the quiz night when, again, she was acting quite out of character. But since nobody actually mentioned it in any of the calls, there's a point I wanted to pick up on about that quiz night, which was that the team consisted of Paul and Stella. No mention at any point about what Pip was doing that evening. So why wasn't Pip there? Why didn't anybody say anything about why Pip wasn't there? After all, we've had all this business of Stella and Pip coming out to the village, as we were just discussing. And so everybody must know in the bull that they're a couple. And yet no questions about, no comments about why Pip wasn't part of that team. It just made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Except that Pip has a small child at home, so perhaps she was minding her own child, unlike Helen. I suppose so, but you'd have thought that Stella would have said, it's a pity Pip couldn't be with us, but somebody has to look after Rosie and she can't be dumped on her grandmother or her great-grandmother every evening. I would yes. think that, that if, if Pip wanted to go to the pub, either Jill or Ruth would be able to look after Rosie these days. Yes, and I, I did wonder whether it was all to allow a setup of misunderstanding about Stella and Hannah and whether Stella was being untrue to Pip by hanging out with Hannah. But I don't think we're going that route because we had the more obvious play out this week about the housing of Hannah. Yes, and then we've had... Well, there was some jealousy in there, I think. Uh, and then that all got resolved when Pip suddenly became all reasonable and sensible and, and made up with everybody at the end of the week. So they keep building up the tension and, and then dialing it back down again at the moment. Yes, perhaps that is more realistic of a new relationship than some of the other aspects that we've had. That's certainly true. Next up, we have a call from Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. I'm sure I won't be the only one calling in after Wednesday's episode to reflect on the baptism and other things. I just think it was a brilliant thing for Tony to show up. And I think that there, he could do a good trade in that. Like Tony could just show up and seethe, like vibrate with fury at the edge of an event, but not do anything or say anything. I always felt his presence there. And yeah, let's be honest, Tony isn't usually the most dynamic of all the archers, is he? And I thought it was really interesting, his conversation with Alan, where Alan's like, what are you doing here? What are you planning to do? And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he didn't mean it in a sort of threatening way. He just didn't know, did he? And yeah, interesting and interesting. Although he would have got plenty of sight of Bruce during the trial, surely, because Bruce was around then and was horrendous. Bruce sounds a bit less chipper than he did then. He sounds quite like an old, weak man now. But there you go. Bruce is awful, isn't he? Goodness me. We all felt a bit sorry for Rob, really. And Miles. It got a bit complicated, though, with all those similar sounding voices. But I did enjoy it. I think it could have been a lot worse. And just before I go, I wanted to go, yay, Alistair and Denise, please let that go nicely. I think Denise is running away from her husband who's awful. And hopefully something will happen with Alistair maybe over Christmas. And I think we all understood what he meant when he was saying to Jazza about not missing your chances. So go Alistair and Denise. Speak to you soon. Thank you for that call, Claire. And yes, Bruce did show up as a complete monster. Unbelievably evil and awful. And I think 
that gives us a, an explanation for Rob's behaviour. And you can see how being brought up by somebody like that could turn you into somebody like Rob. But I don't think it goes as far as being an excuse for anything because you don't have to turn into that and you certainly don't have to perpetuate it. And once you run into issues like being stabbed as a result of it, you can start to take action, none of which Rob has done. I didn't feel sorry for Rob at any point during that. As I said, it was an explanation, not an excuse. And we very rapidly saw that Rob was really still pretty evil himself with his insistence that Helen had to be there at any future event. She had to be made to show up at his command, all deeply unpleasant. Yes, I have to say, I thought the line of the week was Tony saying to Rob, I have nothing to say to you. And I thought that was much stronger than the bit where Tony realised that Rob's life had been made a misery by Bruce. I think we knew from the trial, I mean, there was a lot of discussion at the time of whether Rob's mother, Ursula, was in fact an abused wife and downtrodden by an awful husband and Rob was replicating what he'd grown up with. And Miles told us that his father thought Rob succumbing to glioblastoma was some sign of his own inner weakness. So I think we were set up to have Bruce as the bogeyman. And I did feel some pity for Rob, but not forgiveness, which I think is exactly what Tony expressed. But could I pick up the other point Claire made on the yay Alastair and Denise? I was trying to work out whether they would have a better chance in a relationship if Paul stays at the vets or if Denise came back. And I think maybe it's fine either way because they made clear at the Halloween trail that they could have a lot of fun outside work. I know fun and Alistair don't fit naturally together, but they did seem to enjoy each other's company. And I agree that it seems like Denise is finding a way to leave her husband, which I'm old-fashioned enough to hope happens ahead of her getting together with Alistair rather than because of Alistair, but we shall see. Yes, and I think that's the direction it seems to be going. We're getting constant messages that Denise's marriage isn't a, a happy one. It isn't a functional one. She's avoiding her husband's relatives. He's spending a lot of time out cycling. It might well turn out that he has some other person, maybe a fellow cyclist with whom he is carrying on, and that it ends up with that, that marriage coming to an end through no fault of Denise's, which I, I think would, from a, a dramatic point of view, be the, the, the right way forward. So yes, I, th I think that that would be, well, it would be a sweet thing to happen, I think, for both Alastair and, and I guess for Denise. And it doesn't really matter whether or not she works at the vets or not, because Paul's presence gives plenty of reasons why she should be around anyway. And once she and Alastair get beyond simple friendship, then who knows, maybe that room at Greenacres that Hannah isn't going to be moving into could be first be a sort of refuge place for, for Denise while she unwinds her, her marriage and then they move into the same room and that room becomes free again. Yeah, that's a nice idea. I did also want to come back on your point about the sort of generational, intergenerational abuse and Rob becoming like Bruce. It seemed actually like a really strong justification for Helen saying she never wants Rob near Jack because the only way to stop Jack growing up into what his father was is to keep him away from him. It's an interesting perspective, I think. We've got an email later on which I think addresses 
some of that. But I did want to pick up on one thing, again, not that anybody has called in about it, but Helen and her almost unnatural degree of rising above Rob. And I do worry that that's masking something deeply troubling and that we're going to see a major crash from Helen before too long. And it might be triggered, in fact, not by anything to do with Rob, but by the very point that Jen made in her call about Helen needing somebody to look after the boys and with Lee not there, trying to find somebody else. And I think that she is going to suddenly discover that she can't cope. I actually am one of the, I'm not the first to suggest this, I know, but I really wonder if Helen is going to take care of Rob in his dying days because what Rob said this week is he still loves Helen and we know Helen is still very wound up with Rob and I I just somehow wonder whether that is going to be how she gets some kind of closure. Yes, it's possible, but there is a non-molestation order in there and if she starts doing that, then I think that that means that the non-molestation order becomes completely invalid and I, I think it will be quite complicated. What about the children? She's got to, if she does that, she's got to decide what to say to Henry and to Jack and Henry is incredibly perspicacious at the moment he knows exactly what's going on he can see things much more clearly than Helen can so I I think that that would cause an interesting set of conversations to come yes indeed our next call is from Tracy in California Tracy from California here I have to say that I figured that Rob came from the sort of home that it was clear his father created this sort of climate for him I have to say, though, that even though I didn't feel sorry for him, but I did feel even better able to understand him. I appreciate the angle that the writers took as well and recognize that, you know, it takes a much more complex emotional lexicon to be able to discuss the complicated reality of feelings about what happened with Rob. I have to say that it didn't help me to humanize the monster of a character. He could have made the choice not to torture someone the way he was tortured, but he didn't. And isn't therapy free in the UK? You know, he could have gotten help after torturing his previous girlfriends, which I'm sure he did, or even after torturing Helen, but he didn't. He got stabbed darn near to death, but still refused to wake up to his abusive behavior. You know, he abused her. He did it in front of her kids. He didn't care. So no, uh, I have zero sympathy for him. Even with the brain tumor and the terrible father, I don't think that that makes things even given all the pain that he's caused women and children throughout the years. Those are lasting lifetime scars that you give people. And so, yes, he's dying a terrible death. And yes, he had a terrible father, but I recognize that he's a pitiable creature, but I don't pity him. And yes, I recognize he's also fakes. But anyway, I think I appreciate this storyline for its complexities. And I appreciated that sort of twist and that they didn't do in some big Halloween Rob Goblin reveal. Anyway, have a great day. It's always lovely to hear from Tracy, who tells it like it is, and she's definitely with you on Rob's not heading for redemption, but perhaps for a little more understanding. Yes, I I completely agree with Tracy and, and everything that she said in that call. She asked or suggested that therapy is free in the UK, And yes, NHS mental health services are free, but they are under massive demand. They've never, even before the pandemic, there were huge long waiting lists for any sort of treatment, six months or more, just really for an initial assessment. 
I think that that's not something that would be very easy for Rob. And of course, he couldn't really tell his father that he was going for that sort of thing because it's exactly what Bruce would have, as he would have said, it was a sign of weakness or something similar and, and done so in a, a deeply horrendous way. So I, I think that that was probably not something that Rob was ever going to be able to do. I don't think you can force somebody into therapy and Rob was never going to go there willingly. No, although again, now that he, we believe he has a cancer diagnosis, he will have been offered different routes of support and Macmillan nurses and all sorts of other people who might help help him address his issues. But I don't think he's going to in the time left. It sounds as though he's not going to have the cognitive ability to do so, even were he inclined to. Yeah, I think that as we saw from the scene on the edge of Borchester, this tumour has now gone beyond just causing him headaches or physical infirmity. It has now come to the point where it really is affecting his cognitive processes. And I don't think that things like Macmillan nurses are really going to be fully up to dealing with that. That is something which really needs proper full-time care. Taking him home to Hampshire, which seems to be what Miles has done, get him out of the village. But I don't think that, that would be enough unless it all the end comes very quickly. Yeah. Those are the first four calls, but there's some more coming afterwards, and we'll hear those very soon. If you'd like to become a caller in your, yourself, like Jenny, Jen, and the others, you would be more than welcome. And there are three ways you can get involved. Your first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumtydum. And don't forget that's a T in the middle. Your second option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 If you're overseas, you drop the first zero and add plus four four. Please do keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumtydum at mail.com. Do bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. And don't worry about trying to write all that down, as we've provided links to those three ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now let's get back to our calls. Next up is Richard. Good for Alistair Lloyd to be quoting Robert Browning to Jazza as a way of inspiring him to be more ambitious. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven's for is from Andre del Sartre's poem about his artistic ambition or lack of it. The poem's quite complicated. I looked it up. Nonetheless, I'm glad that Jazza is getting some ambitious ideas put into his head. Though, of course, if Hannah sorts out her accommodation, maybe that job won't open up. Or maybe he'll talk to the powers that be at Barrow before Hannah quits and there'll be a conflict. Nonetheless, there are plenty of people in Ambridge who could do with some careers, advice and wisdom. And if it takes Alistair quoting Jim, quoting Robert Browning to get Jazza to look to raise his game, so be it. Although having said that, ambition isn't always good. Look at how much happier Adam is now. He's not trying to push himself career-wise. Horses for courses. I still, I'm still hoping that we'll hear about Mia and Brad getting on well. But I think it was a, a stroke of genius for the Bonfire Committee to invite young Mia onto it. Nothing like giving someone responsibility to help them grow and develop, as well as potentially neuter some of their objections. Quiet fireworks seems like a good idea to me. So, in conclusion, ah, the final thing, yes. Alistair, of course, is extremely timid with respect to Denise, so there's some degree of irony there. Bye. Thank you for that call, Richard. I'm quite a fan of the poetry of Robert Browning, I have to say. I think he was the one that wrote How They Brought the News from Ghent to Aches, or Aches to Ghent, or whichever it was, which is a very jolly piece of uh, galloping poetry. Uh, and he's written it in a number of styles. And Andrea Del Sarto is a very good poem, if quite long and complicated, as Richard said. But anyway, getting on to the substance of Richard's call, I think there is quite a complicated position developing at Barrow if Hannah does stay, because Jazza has been encouraged to consider applying for Hannah's job, and there aren't any other obvious candidates in there. And then he's going to find that having been encouraged there, that Hannah suddenly stands in his way. He's almost going to be put into the position of Macbeth. Now, I saw a production of Macbeth last weekend. I meant to say that at the beginning. My son was uh, stage managing it in, at the Loft Theatre in Leamington. It was an excellent production. And it made me think that Jazza is in this position where it has been prophesied to him by Hannah in the role of the Weird Sisters that he can become the manager of the indoor pigs at Barrow. And he is then going to have to find a way to get there when suddenly the obstacle, the, the current manager of the indoor pigs is still there. So he then has to somehow do in Hannah the way that Macbeth did in Duncan. It struck me as something full of dramatic possibilities. I had a far less erudite response to that. I wondered if we were replaying the sort of Emma who wanted the Grey Gables job and the tea room job and was told not to get ideas above her station, more or less, and Jazza, being one of the downtrodden of Ambridge, would have the same experience. But then I realised that Neil must be getting close to retirement. And I wonder if he might go half-time en route to retirement and job share with Jazza, at which point Jazza could be properly trained up to take over when Neil fully retires. That would be, I think, a much nicer route, and maybe Hannah then can stay on and the two of them run the joint. Yes, I, I think that would be a, a much more fun thing than setting up a rivalry between Jazza and Hannah. I think 
under those circumstances, it would probably end up with Hannah becoming manager of both the indoor and the outdoor pigs and Jazza being the person who, who did the day-to-day -day running of the outdoor pigs, whereas Hannah supervised him there and ran the indoor pigs herself. So there is a, a way forward that works for all concerned, but I just can't see Neil retiring. Pigs are his life. There's nothing he prefers of an evening than reading through his bumper book of piggy diseases, and it's just Neil retired doesn't seem to, to work. I don't know what he'd do with his time. That's why I thought maybe half-time or something. I'm of an age where people keep asking me what I plan to do, and I'm definitely thinking that it would be about reducing time first rather than a, a cold turkey retirement. Yes, I can see the attraction of doing that. I'm not quite there yet, but I suspect that it won't be very long before I think, actually, I can take some of my pension or all of my pension and still work part-time, and so it would be more relaxing that way. And now we have our final call for this week, and it starts like this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Stephen, Theo, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. I must admit, I was riveted by the baptism episode. I thought the writing and acting were excellent. Did I feel some sympathy, or should I say empathy, for Rob at that moment? In terms of his relationship with his father, I suppose so. Listening to Bruce was excruciating, but one could have understanding of Rob's upbringing and what led him, at least in part, to become the horrible, manipulative, abusive person he is without forgiving him for how he treated Helen and others. Although Harrison was very effective in dealing with Rob the following day, when he was in the midst of his episode of confusion, I disagreed with Sergeant Byrd's final recommendations. I thought that Rob should have been taken to A&E to be evaluated. First off, he may become violent at his brother's house. Clearly, he's entered the final stage of his illness. The tumor has grown, impacting the areas in his brain controlling memory, thought, and judgment. I don't know what, if any, treatment he's now receiving, but medications such as steroids may be able to temporarily shrink the tumor and relieve these current acute symptoms. Maybe there will be a brief exploration of palliative and hospice care in upcoming weeks. Finally, on a lighter note, I guess Pip has inherited her mother's cooking skills. Who can't boil a pot of spaghetti correctly? I hope that Stella handles the food prep in the Stip household in the future, for Rosie's sake. Talk to you soon. Oh, Witherspoon, you're so right. I was thinking things have to be really bad for you to go to Ruth and ask for dinner and why they couldn't cook a packet of dried spaghetti to replace the fresh that didn't cook properly was beyond me. But there we go. Yes, Witherspoon joining the ranks of those of us with some understanding of Rob, but not forgiving him. Yes, on, on the spaghetti point, I've never understood the appeal of fresh spaghetti. Yes, for those stuffed spaghettis like ravioli and, and tortellini, but for just regular long strings of pasta and tubes of pasta and so forth. The dried is so much easier and it gives you time to focus and concentrate on getting the sauce exactly right. I do not understand that. And yes, going to Ruth for cooking is shows how desperate things must be at Rickyard. Just getting back to the main part of Witherspoon's call about Rob, I wanted to say how brilliant I thought Harrison was in dealing with Rob. I thought that was an excellent scene and it portrayed Harrison, it showed all the right ways to be a, a police officer and to deal with a, a tricky situation. I thought he was absolutely spot on. 
And I know there was no mention of any medical assessment for Rob, but I don't think that means that there wasn't any. I would have thought Harrison's first concern would be to get Rob off the road and somewhere quieter where the traffic could die down and get back to normal. And then to deal with him and I think that we didn't really see anything of the steps between talking to him in a slightly more sensible place through to Miles taking him back to Hampshire and there probably was time for Harrison to have taken Rob to Borchester General the hospital that I think he have been registered with once he moved to Pennyhasset and then for them to assess him to determine how serious the issue was was this just an episode or was this a permanent step change in his cognition and assuming the former to say Miles can take him back to Hampshire where presumably there were care arrangements for him in place. I think that, yeah, full, full marks to Harrison, hero of the week as far as I'm concerned. And I, I thought that that was just brilliantly done. The other person I thought played an absolute blinder this week in a quiet way was Brian. I, I'm not always his biggest fan, but the idea that he got this call from Rob gave it short shrift and went immediately to Tony to say, just so you know, this is what happened. Don't want you to hear it from someone else. I mean, if they all behaved like that all the time, we'd have nothing to listen to. Yes, though I think Brian rather dropped the ball when it came to Peggy. We didn't have any calls about Peggy's behaviour at the end of the week. She was absolutely out of order. Alan had no alternative but to do what he did. He managed to persuade Nick Berry to take the christening service itself to do the actual sacrament because that was offensive to Alan's conscience but the for the rest of it Alan is Rob's parish priest while he was in Pennyhasset and Alan just has to do the spiritual stuff that Rob asks of him that's just the way the Church of England works Brian of course doesn't know that sort of stuff he's not a church goer uh, even when Jenny went I don't think that Brian paid any attention to, to how things work there was a missed opportunity. Somebody should have said to Peggy what Alan did was actually the least he could do rather than going above and beyond what he might do. Yes, and as someone who complains about personality shifts, and, and this week I couldn't understand why Paul had become so grumpy, you'd have to say Peggy, even though silent, has not changed personality at all. She's still a poisonous and manipulative old what's-it who likes to use her money to dictate how people behave. Yes, a complete bigot. I don't know whether this is partly a reaction to the whole window incident and she's now plotting her revenge by cutting off her money for some other slight rather than the window itself, which was always a, a mad idea. This is two vicars in a row that she has boycotted after running off to Falpersham Cathedral rather than attend services led by Janet Fisher. Yes, well, she's playing true to type. So those are the calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We do love them. So if you called in this week, do call again next week. If you didn't call this week, even better, call us next week and tell us what you think about The Archers. The wider range of views we get, the more fun this podcast is. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? Yes, we had two. The first is from Marie Bray, and I'm sorry it came in last week and we missed it. It goes like this. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and all Dumpty Dummers. Hope you're all keeping well. Just got back from being wheeled round a garden centre and having an extremely delicious cream tea. I tried to use speak pipe, but Chrome is asking for permissions and my technical skills don't stretch that far. There's so much hatred towards Helen at the moment, and I for one am no fan of hers. Sadly, I think she's very unwell and is in need of help. 
her eating disorder has been rather quickly and unrealistically resolved. And so her self-detrimental behaviour has shifted into her total disdain and repulsion towards Lee. He's a good, stable and reliable man and her inner voice is telling her she doesn't deserve him and doesn't deserve to be happy. Her outburst at the bowling alley where she had an adequate audience sounded manic and was totally unjustified. Funnily, she hasn't given Lee any explanation at all except to say it's not working and it's better this way and not that she's fallen out of love with him. I think she's heading for a breakdown and unless Lee realises how unwell she is, he'll no longer be around to help her. On a lighter note, where is Joy and her hot tub boyfriend? Speak to you soon. Lots of love, Marie. Marie, I think you're absolutely right. Helen, someone suggested, I think, in a previous week that Helen had to get rid of Lee because he was aware of her eating disorder and she needed to be able to control those things in private without him watching her. And I do think we probably haven't heard the last of Helen heading towards a breakdown, whether, as Stephen said, whether linked to Rob and his failing health or not. We haven't heard the end of this. No. And I do think that's a very important point right at the end. We haven't heard from Mick for a long while, but we have to believe that he's still there, possibly still in the hot tub despite the the time of year. And we could do with a bit more light relief. Maybe Hannah will move in with Helen in Beechwood and will then take advantage of the hot tub. I can see Hannah as quite a hot tub sort of person. Yeah, so Hannah seems like she would get on well with Joy and Mick. She would. Or at least old Hannah was before she had the stuffing knocked out of her. Yes. The second message comes from somebody who has asked that we don't use their name. And it goes like this. Hello. For personal reasons, I don't want my name mentioned. But Wednesday's Archers was profoundly brilliant. I am a victim of domestic abuse and I'm in recovery. Part of my recovery has been to see how my abuser was just reflecting the culture they'd seen as the norm in relationships. Their past relationships were abusive. So that's how one should act. Equally, Rob's adult relationships reflected the culture of his home life with his parents and brother and, unpalatable as this may be, like many abusers, Rob is both a victim and an abuser. I hope Helen will be like me and other survivors who attempt to break the cycle for themselves and their children, future relationships not being based upon the abusive norms of those past. Alan and Tony talking at the end of the episode was wonderful. Alan's dignity that he'd done his duty but wasn't doing anything beyond, such as going to the pub with the Titchener's. While Tony reflected, Rob's punishment was his life. Go well, Helen. May all your household get the therapy it desperately needs. There will be painful flashbacks, crippling anxiety, where you sit by a river unable to move for hours, but shoots of healing and hope will grow. Lastly, thank you, Dumpty Dum. You've been one of the many companions that have been a constant source of happiness during my recovery. Thank you for that. And that's quite a a moving statement. I'm pleased that we at Dumpty Dum have helped you through what has clearly been a a horrible, difficult time. And I'm really glad that you're moving forward and finding those shoots of healing and hope. Yes, it's, it's very moving. And we do have this amazing community of people who have experiences and the expertise pertinent to almost everything that goes on on the arch it's it's wonderful to hear from people albeit painful and we share your past pain and your hopes for the future yes let's move on to facebook and we need to give a very warm welcome to the new members of our facebook group who are damselfly glamping who seems to have taken my approach to getting past the facebook requirement for 
real names. Sarah Jane Dell, Jenny Hutton, Sue Foley, Anna Noverfing Slattery, and Mabina Khan Warren. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? The much nicer Rob is here with his review. Hello there, everyone. It's the other, much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. We started the week with the hint of the possibility that there may just be the chance that one of the fan favourite fantasy flirtations was about to happen. Denise returned to Ambridge and seems to be finding reasons to stay away from her husband. Rosie LC said, So, Paul's parents have split up and now Alice can get together with Denise. Yay! And Al Williams added, Pip and Stella are going to have their noses put out of joint. After their extended wandering round Ambridge holding hands and boasting about being a couple, Alistair will outdo them. Marching into the bull with Denise, he will ask Kenton to make an announcement. Congratulations to Alistair. Not only is Alistair having an affair with a black married woman, she also has a gay son and Alistair has a gay sister. So beat that. But not all of that true love might run as smooth as the green-eyed monster seems to be raising its ugly head. How dare Stella even think of taking her on a roommate? T. Brown Artivist CA said, I think Hannah is going to move in with Stella, turn back into a right cow, fall for Stella and then try to sabotage Sip, Pella, Stip whatever we're calling them. And Al Williams added, I have never liked Pip. She's the same as in owl-bothering days. Bossy, sanctimonious and self-centred. I want Stella to do the same as Pip's first boyfriend, forgotten his, and phone with her. Bye! But the big story of the week was about baptism and the breakdown. Al Williams and Amy Gilbert both stirred up a lot of feeling in the group by feeling sorry for Rob when the full extent of his father's contempt was demonstrated. The most common response was along the lines of saving sympathy for his victims. In Verna's to them, though, they only said they were starting to feel sympathy. And then after the baptism, Rob decided to wait for his new pal Jesus in the middle of the bypass. Chris Gibson commented, 1. Borchester sounds bigger than I thought. 2. Harrison was sort of marvellous today. And 3. Pip was not. And then to finish the week off, Chris Gibson came up with The prize goes to Peggy, who, unlike Pip, Helen or even Rob and continue to annoy even without showing up. And that's it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you. Be warned though, when the chat starts you can't be there for hours. Thank you, Rob, and thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do, but don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. And did we have any reviews this week? No reviews this week, I'm afraid. Come on, Dumpty Dummers. We really want to hear what you think about the podcast, and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts also helps us to move up the charts and get noticed by more potential listeners. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I can be found at PurplePumpkin63. And in a new development, we've both also ventured onto Blue Sky, where I'm at PurplePumpkin63.bsky.social. And I am at Wenlock.bsky.social. 
So let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Hi, it's Bernadette Hawks here at Archers Fan 2015. Standing in for a pumpkin, I'm giving out the gongs this week. Uh, deserves a mention, I thought, at Marty Drupadi. It's a bit too happily ever after in a cringy way, but I like where the SWs are going with the Adil storyline now. Your home is Ambridge now, Adil. You can check out, but you can never leave. And from Angela Dobb at LM Bossy, Bruce should get a refund on the fees he paid to that charm school. And the medals. In bronze, that's Stephen Brooks, TA. Suddenly, Alistair is wondering about getting invited to the Halloween party. In silver, Eliza Bennett at Eliza Bennett 3. Could we not just go straight into a multiple exorcism and have done with the whole thing? And finally, in gold, Little Kim at Little Kim. Paul must have a lot of friends because there's no way this many people like Josh and Lily. Thank you for that, Bernadette. And congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we're also on Instagram, at Dumpty Dum. And Jacqueline will be back next week, so she'll be presenting together with Stephen. They'll be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning. So please do get your calls in by midnight on Friday, UK time. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support the presenters in so many invaluable ways. Also, the whole Dumpty Dum community. You make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. So it just leaves it for me to thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're off to sit on a traffic island until Harrison comes to rescue us. So it's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Dumpty 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 Dumpty